You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Despite aggressive treatment with antidepressants, as many as a fourth of patients with major depression are refractory to treatment. What role might neurosurgery play in the treatment of depression? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Lunt, and with me today is Dr. Aviva Abosh. Dr. Abosh is the Director of the Epilepsy and Functional Neurosurgery Program and Assistant Professor in the Department of Neurosurgery at the University of Minnesota Medical School in Minneapolis. Welcome to ReachMD, Dr. Abosh. Thank you very much. Fundamental to the notion of possibly treating depression with neurosurgery is the evolving theory of what causes depression in the first place. I'm assuming if surgery is a possible option, it must no longer be thought of as a single neurotransmitter problem. That's correct. Increasingly, uh, depression is viewed as a systems problem as opposed to a, an individual neurotransmitter gone awry, as, as you pointed out. And there's accumulating evidence that supports this notion. So this is more of a systems-level disorder? Correct. And so the question is, if depression, if major depression were exclusively the function of a single neurotransmitter malfunctioning, then if we could just replace that neurotransmitter, why wouldn't we fix everyone with depression? And there's a significant population of patients with major depression who are refractory to medical therapy, as you know. And it's these treatment-refractory depressed patients who were the the first indication to us that we were dealing not with a specific target in the brain that was malfunctioning or a specific neurotransmitter that was malfunctioning, but a whole system that was malfunctioning. Now, how has neuroimaging informed these ideas? Right. And neuroimaging is another excellent clue to that, to the nature of the underlying nature of depression. And so a wealth of PET and functional MRI studies that have been done over the past decade have pointed to the fact that depression is really a systems problem. And so when you look at patients with depression, with treatment refractory depression on functional imaging using PET or fMRI, what you see is not a single portion of the brain that's different from control subjects who do not have depression. What you see is a variety of different areas that seem to be different from matched controls. Psychosurgery has always caused hysteria, really. Are there any neurosurgical techniques that are currently accepted for treating psychiatric disorders? I would say that there has been a significant amount of public and regulatory concern over psychosurgery, and psychosurgery does indeed have a significantly checkered past. But a certain amount of the public distrust of psychosurgery comes from trying to retroactively apply sensibilities and notions of what's appropriate ethical conduct of research trials today to studies that were done 50 years ago, 60 years ago. But having said that, I think that it's entirely appropriate for the public for physicians and for regulatory bodies such as the NIH to be concerned about psychosurgery. One of the significant issues is that you're taking a patient population. It's not cardiac disease. I mean, it's not patients. There's a certain amount of autonomy that's removed when the patients have major depression. And so I think it's appropriate for organizations to be advocating on behalf of these people. So are there any neurosurgical techniques that are being used today? Absolutely. So for decades, we have used, neurosurgeons who treat major depression have used ablative surgery for the treatment of depression. And understand that these are not patients who feel blue. These are patients who have failed every conceivable form of treatment, cognitive behavioral therapy, multiple serotonin reuptake inhibitor trials pushed to toxicity, electroconvulsive shock therapy, etc. And these patients still 
remain depressed and remained non-functional in their surroundings. And so for these patients, neurosurgeons have traditionally tried lesion surgery. So in other words, you make a lesion, you make a hole in the brain in a particular region of the brain and try to affect an improvement in their underlying condition. So that surgery has been used, as I said, for decades with a certain amount of success, you know, or we wouldn't still be doing it. Now, then you have to sort of switch fields a little bit and look at movement disorders, which has kind of had a parallel history. So by movement disorders, I mean things like Parkinson's disease, essential tremor, dystonia. These were, again, conditions that were treated by neurosurgeons with lesion surgery. So make a lesion in the basal ganglia and the patient's tremor goes away. Make a lesion in the basal ganglia and the patient's rigidity and bradykinesia improves if, you know, if they have Parkinson's disease. Well, fast forward to the 1990s, and physicians first in Europe and then in North America began implanting deep brain stimulator devices for the treatment of these movement disorders. So it turns out that equivalent to the tremor control you get from making a hole in the basal ganglia uh, through lesioning is putting in an electrode that's connected to a pacemaker, if you will, a brain pacemaker, and the pacing of the brain can actually give you the same tremor relief or the same relief of the patient's bradykinesia and rigidity that making a hole in that area of the brain does. So with this unparalleled success of deep brain stimulation surgery for the treatment of the movement disorders for Parkinson's disease, essential tremor, neurosurgeons who treat psychiatric conditions began to revisit the notion of treating major depression with now neuromodulation or deep brain stimulator surgery as opposed to making a hole in the brain. When people do use ablative surgery for depression, where in the brain do you cut? That's an excellent question. I've, you know, lobbied or I've told you that depression is a systems problem and not a specific target or a specific neurotransmitter, brain target or neurotransmitter problem. And so then the question becomes, you know, if it's a system, where do you hit? It's perhaps better to think of it as a computer network with nodes. And there are certain nodes that seem to be better than other nodes, even though they're all interconnected. So certain control points that affect, that give you a better efficacy with respect to symptoms than others. Now, to say that we know exactly where to put the electrode is not entirely true. There's been some preliminary work on what areas to target. That's very exciting. But again, the jury's still out as to the appropriate target. Now, deep brain stimulation, this is different for our listeners where this all may be new. This is different than vagal nerve stimulation, obviously, which has been approved for depression now for years. Well, so vagal nerve stimulation is neuromodulation as well in that you are modulating the nervous system in contrast to traditional ablative surgery where you whack out a portion of the brain or you make a hole in a portion of the brain and that's how you obtain the, the benefits. Neuromodulation is the attempt to modulate nervous system function and thereby obtain an improvement, say, in depression in this instance. Vagal nerve stimulation, as you indicated, was approved by the FDA a number of years ago. Deep brain stimulation surgery for major depression is not yet FDA approved. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Aviva Abosh. We are discussing the surgical treatment of depression. Uh, Dr. Abosh, so what work is currently being done in the development of new neurosurgical techniques for the treatment of depression? So in 2005, there was a very, very interesting study published by a group in Toronto that looked at deep brain stimulation of a specific target for the uh, treatment of depression. And so that was a pilot study looking at six patients with depression that had failed every combination of treatments available. 
the investigators in that study put an electrode into an area called the subgenual cingulate white matter, or Broadman Area 25. So that's an area in the deep portion of the brain immediately below the genu of the corpus callosum. And you asked me before about functional imaging. Well, they didn't sort of randomly put the electrode there. Their selection of that target was actually based on a decade of functional imaging work that suggested that this area, Broadman Area 25, was hyperactive in patients with major depression. Interestingly, when patients with major depression had a successful response to cognitive behavioral therapy or to pharmacotherapy using SSRIs, that area of hypermetabolism, that area in Broadman Area 25, which was hypermetabolic when they were, when they were having depression, normalized its activity. And so, again, stepping back to the illustration of Parkinson's disease, it turns out that if you put an electrode in the basal ganglia of a patient with Parkinson's disease, in an area where, in general, there's hypermetabolic activity in Parkinson's disease, you can reset that metabolic activity with brain stimulation. And so the investigators on this paper published in 2005 said, well, you know, if this works for Parkinson's disease, maybe if we could show that we could reset that activity in Broadman Area 25 by using a deep brain stimulator, maybe the patients who are refractory would then become, you know, amenable to standard therapies. And in fact, that's what they showed in four out of six of the patients. And is this a one-time procedure and then you fiddle with the stimulation externally? That is correct. That is correct. So the electrodes are placed and then we program the device externally using a computer wand that's held over the pacemaker site in the chest, and various parameters of stimulation can be manipulated, such as the voltage and the pulse width of the current, et cetera. If you were a betting woman, what would you say the odds of this actually becoming useful in clinical treatment are? Well, the publication of this paper in Neuron in 2005 engendered enough enthusiasm worldwide that there is now a multi-center U.S. trial underway recruiting patients to investigate the efficacy of this. And obviously the intent would be ultimately to gain FDA approval for this therapy. I should point out that many of the drug trials that are published for new agents that are used to treat major depression have to show us, you know, an efficacy. The standard for this surgical paper was that the four out of six patients who were considered responders went into remission based on their Hamilton scores. It wasn't a significant improvement. They actually went into remission. And these are people, as I said, who had failed every other conceivable form of therapy. That was the reason for the the enthusiasm that's been engendered by the study. So how do you do a placebo in this study? Excellent question. And so the study that I mentioned was not a double-blind study. The patients knew that they were getting stimulation. The investigators knew, the raters knew that they were getting stimulation. And so this was interesting pilot data But in order to really establish efficacy for this kind of a treatment, the patients and the raters have to be blinded. How do you do a placebo in that setting? Well, the patients don't feel the stimulation. They have to have surgery, but they can be randomized to a control, a sham stimulation arm versus a real stimulation arm. And that's really the way to blind it. So you have surgery and you just don't program the... Well, you go through a programming session, but you leave the voltage at zero. How big of a deal is the surgery? I mean, you know, I hear neurosurgery, I think, oh my gosh, that's major, major surgery. For you as a neurosurgeon, is this a big deal or is this, you know, this is something you could do in the backyard? The general dictum is it's a minor procedure if it's somebody else's brain that you're talking about. But the truth is that relative to, say, a craniotomy for a tumor resection or for epilepsy or for 
you know, clipping an aneurysm. This is a minor procedure in that it, it consists of, the surgery itself consists of a scalp incision and a burr hole. So making a hole through the skull that's about the size of a nickel and then sticking electrodes in. Now, there are risks associated with it. There's a risk of hemorrhage and any amount of hemorrhage deep in the brain in the areas that we, that, you know, that we're talking about can cause significant problems. But that's a low risk. And the side effects from, you know, 10 years, a decade, actually many decades of this type of surgery in Parkinson's patients and patients with essential tremor has established for us a baseline of, of what to expect in terms of, you know, side effects and complications. And it's, it's, these are relatively well-tolerated procedures. So there's a low rate of infection, there's a low rate of hemorrhage, there's a low rate of permanent neurologic deficits after this which is very much different from the old days of lesioning surgery. You make a hole in the brain, that's irreversible. Now, if our listeners are interested in possibly referring patients to get into these trials, is there a way they can do that? There are right now three centers around the country that are recruiting patients for this multi-center U.S. trial that I mentioned. Now, the plan is to bring on board an additional 12 to 13 sites around the country, but we're waiting to hear how the patients in the first three centers do. And so for the time being, I think that these centers, you know, when the additional centers open up, it'll be, it'll be relatively easy to get patients in, you know, to these sites. And for the time being, I think that the focus is on these three initial sites. Well, thanks so much for being on our show today. Thank you. We've been speaking with Dr. Aviva Abash about surgical treatment of depression and, and what's on the horizon. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. And thank you for listening.